Well, if you would turn in your Bibles to 1 Timothy chapter 4, uh, the first six verses. <clears throat> 1 Timothy 4, 1 through 6, as we um, look at this portion of God's holy word. So hear, hear now the word of the Lord. Now the Spirit expressly says that in the last times some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teaching of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. Uh, The middle of this chapter is the third of the faithful sayings, which we will take up next time. Uh, But this portion of the chapter and, and the rest of the chapter, and as we've seen in this book, uh, obviously, in Ephesus, there seemed to be quite a, a difficult time with false teachers. And so Paul takes up this, takes up this theme again here at the beginning of this particular chapter and, uh, wants to direct Timothy in how to counteract these things or what to be alert for. Uh, the, the, <clears throat> Instruction earlier was a little more general uh, in being alert, alert to and telling those who teach another doctrine to quit it. Uh, those in the other doctrine, more generally, it was uh, Jewish fables, myths, uh, sort of a general statement of kind of the problem. Tonight we're going to get into some of this, a couple specifics of the false doctrine uh, asceticism and a false kind of asceticism <clears throat> and legalism. And these two aspects of the teaching of these false prophets uh, are still with us today, uh, where we're told to be de- to refuse certain things that God has given to us to bless our lives, that um, there's a, a legalistic idea that if we obey these things or do these things, we will somehow earn favor with God. And so these two things are part of the content, of at least some of the content of these false teachers. <clears throat> so it's interesting, having, having just told us what the mystery of godliness is in that last verse of chapter 3, here we have Paul explaining the... Um, the danger of ungodliness. So the mystery of godliness and the danger of ungodliness are kind of <clears throat> put together. So the warning is against this ascetic and legalistic teaching, and it begins with, now the Spirit expressly says, now we know the Holy Spirit is the author of the Word of God. He's the one that inspired the uh, the men that wrote it. 
to put into put pen and ink to that which uh, God wanted to be said. Here we have the Holy Spirit. Now, Paul could be reflecting on a specific prophecy that he was given, uh, but the Holy Spirit speaks to you and to me in our day, in our lives, uh, not in some sort of audible way, but through the Word of God. And he brings the Word of God to, to bear to us in, um, in what, what he has to say. But, so the authority behind what Paul, the direction Paul's going to be given is God himself. And, uh, perhaps he was thinking of, uh, some of the words of Jesus in Matthew 24. Jesus had warned the disciples about the days to come, the last days, the latter days, when many will fall away and betray one another and hate one another. And many false prophets will arise and lead many astray. So it could be that the Holy Spirit spoke, speaking through the person of the Lord Jesus Christ, was warning of these kinds of people who would come and seek to lead them astray. Uh, it might, Paul might have even been remembering, or at least how he spoke to the elders at of Ephesus uh, in his last journey back to Jerusalem uh, before he was imprisoned in Jerusalem. Uh, he met with the elders of Ephesus, um, not in Ephesus, but at uh, the um, place of at Miletus. And he warned them, I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock, and from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things, to draw away the disciples after them. So the Holy Spirit speaking through Paul, the other apostles, through the Lord Jesus Christ, was warning. And you and I have that warning for today. Uh, there are many false prophets in our world. Uh, we don't have television or cable, but sometimes people will tell me the different preacher they listen to on the television and the stuff they say is just ridiculous it's absurd it's it's not helpful it's uh, only trying to get people to give to their uh, particular ministry and we have to be alert and timothy was aware of those remember hymenius and alexander made a shipwreck of their faith so he he knows this paul's warning him about this that in the latter times, some will depart from the faith. Now, the latter times of what? The last days of what? You always have to think about that when you're, when you come across that phrase, what is it the last days of? Uh, it could have been the last days of the old covenant. That's certainly a, a reasonable thought. But, um, many interpret and understand that, um, if we go to, why don't we turn there for a second in Hebrews chapter, go to turn to Hebrews chapter one. Verse one says, long ago at many times and in many ways, God spoke to our fathers by the prophets, but in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed the heir of all things, 
through whom also he created the world. So the last, Jesus came in the last days. Uh, his coming was probably the, considered the beginning of the last days. So there's a couple of ways you could look at that phrase. It could be the last days of the old covenant, because that's when they were living. Or it's just the concept that the last days began with Jesus coming and will end at his return. Uh, John Wesley had this point of view. He said that the last days extend from our Lord's ascension until his coming to judgment. George Knight, a, a, a helpful commentator, he says the days inaugurated, that the last days are the days inaugurated by the Messiah and characterized by the Spirit's presence and power, the days to be consummated by the return of Christ. <clears throat> but whether, however you might come down on the uh, interpretation of the last days, it's clear that Timothy is being warned about them as the days in which he was living because these uh, false prophets would come. And what they have done is they have departed from the faith. And as we've noticed in the previous elements in Paul's writings here, the faith isn't merely speaking of their own personal faith. Possibly would have included that, but what they're departing from is the faith once for all delivered to the saints. It's a body of doctrine. It's the teaching of the apostles. It's the the uh, teaching of the church. <clears throat> and these men are departing from that. And then they're des- described, uh, the word, then the warning is, by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and to the teaching of demons. These that will apostatize from the faith will devote themselves. It's kind of a passionate word where they're really committed to this. They're devoting themselves to sources of their, their unbelief, two evil sources of their unbelief. Uh, the first is deceitful spirits. Here it's probably not talking about angelic type of evil spirits, but simply the spirits of men who are deceitful. Hypocritical. Uh, it's men who are seeking to worm their ways into the, the, uh, people of God and try to draw them away from the truth. And so it's these deceitful men who come to them and these who depart from the faith or apostatize from the faith are those who devote themselves or pay close attention to, in the one hand, deceitful spirits, and then on the second hand, to the teachings of demons. Now, um, whether this is demons in and of themselves or whether it's the influence of demons on some of these deceitful teachers, uh, but it's the effect of the evil one. Uh, it's the ambition and the goal of the evil one to draw the people of God away from the truth and to get their attention on something else, to cause them to depart from the truth. And so these deceitful or hypocritical spirits and the teachings of demons are something these people who are apostatizing have devoted themselves to. 
And um, in our own day, and perhaps in every age, um, the error that Christians often make regarding demons, one is to either make too much of them, and they become obsessed with them in a fearful sort of way, and they look at them as this intense air enemy, uh, and they, they, it's not that they're not an enemy, but they live in unholy fear of the demonic. And that's not something we should do. Uh, we're told very clearly in a number of places, but in Colossians 2, Paul says of Jesus' cross <clears throat> that he disarmed the rulers and the authorities and put them to open shame by triumphing over them. So Christ has triumphed over Satan and all his uh, followers. So they are not something we ought to dread. Uh, we um, ought not to be overwhelmed by them. <clears throat> but at the same time, we ought to understand the serious spiritual warfare that we're engaged in. That we are in a warfare uh, for the hearts and minds of ourselves, for the hearts and minds of our of of other people, and we are in a vicious battle and a serious warfare. And Satan is a liar. Jesus said, "In the father of lies, he was this, a deceiver from the beginning." He the the danger we have, or the thing we need to be alert to, is that Satan sometimes appears in, as an angel of light, and so he will come looking in fair form, but uh, deceitful and seeking to draw us away from the truth. <clears throat> so we have to take this warfare, this battle seriously in being alert to it. And that's kind of why he's warning Timothy that uh, the Spirit has warned us in the last days some will apostatize from the faith because they, they have devoted themselves to these deceitful spirits and the teachings of demons. But then he goes on to exp express two other things that are both a, an important warning for us uh, in general of others, but it's a warning for us, for ourselves. Uh, he, he says in verse 2, "...through the insincerity of liars." Again, we have the, the idea of the hypocrisy. These men are deliberately distorting the truth. <clears throat> and um, they're hypocrites. Uh, the word hypocrite, interestingly enough, comes from the Greek uh, arena of acting. And the thing about a hypocrite, a true hypocrite, is... He's a good actor. That's what he's doing. He's pretending. He has a good outward face, but it's all pretend. It's all an act. It's no, there's no genuineness. Again, as I mentioned, Satan disguises himself as an angel of light. That's the chief hypocrite. <clears throat> he appears to be well-meaning, appears to be knowledgeable, appears to have truth, but it's just an act. It's the insincerity of liars. 
But the next, all, uh, the next item is, is significantly that something significant for us to pay attention to. He says, whose consciences are seared. Um, the conscience, which ought to be the guide and help to guide them on the path of obedience, has been uh, harmed and um, seared by the presence of sin, by continuing in sin. Uh, I'm not medical. I should get some of the medical people here, but certain wounds, certain uh, procedures are done by cauterizing to stop the bleeding of a wound. But sometimes with intense burns, the nerves are deadened. So the person cannot uh, feel pain in those areas any longer. And so the problem, what's, what's happening here with these men is they're tolerating sin in their life. <clears throat> and they're, you know, early on when we're either new Christians or we're, we're zealous in our faith and we sin, we're gripped by conviction, we repent of it. Uh, many of you, like me, when you get a new Bible, the first chapter that you wear out is Psalm 51. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your loving kindness, blot out my transgression. <clears throat> and we cry out in repentance, but the problem with these men and the danger for us is that we tolerate sin in our life. And we commit that sin, and early on our consciences are very sensitive, and we cry out for forgiveness. But then the sin returns. And perhaps we're not as uh, sensitive to it. We're we're still realize it's sin, and we confess it's a sin, but we're we're tolerating it in our life. And the longer we tolerate sin in our life, repeatedly doing it or just allowing it to be in its presence, the longer we allow it to have presence in our lives, it becomes something that cauterizes our consciences. It sears our consciences. So they're no longer the tool that warns us of iniquity, that we're walking a path we shouldn't walk. And we become deadened to the alarm that our conscience should be giving us. And Paul is saying of these men, these hypocritical liars, that their consciences are seared. That they the the work of the con- conscience is not working in them any longer. And you remember how regularly Paul is saying in this letter, Timothy, you need to have a good conscience. You need to guard your conscience. You need to have a good conscience. You and I need to guard against uh, the continual presence of sin in our life. Guard against... Uh, the searing of our conscience that makes us insensitive to the danger of sin.
And it happens, it, it can happen. And so the warning is not only about the false teachers and what's happened to them, but the warning would be for you and for me that we not allow that to happen to us, that we not allow our consciences to be seared, not to depart from the faith, not to be taken in by these uh, deceitful spirits or the teachings of demons or the hypocritical liars, and not to allow our consciences not to be fresh and alert and the alarm that we need uh, to keep us from walking a wrong path or to embrace a false doctrine. So after talking about these uh, teachers, these false teachers in their character and how they, and the, and the warning about them and where they'll lead you, then the content of their false teaching is given to us there in the first half of verse 3. <clears throat> Who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods. So these false teachers are teaching this particular thing. It's an, an asceticism. Now, self-denial is not in and of itself a bad thing. Uh, but the problem with these false teachers is they're teaching this asceticism and this legalism. The asceticism is to uh, forbid marriage and to abstain from certain foods. The problem with these uh, false teachers is they're teaching that this is the way to earn the favor of God. That this is the way that you can be justified in the presence of God. And the reason I say that is when we get to the next section, he's going to be talking about uh, that aspect of things. Uh, he's going to be talking about the contrast between uh, training yourself physically and training yourself for godliness. And what these men were saying is, this is the way, if you want to really be holy... If you really want to earn points with God, this is the way to do it. Don't marry and don't eat certain foods. Now, it's not wrong for a person to be single. That's not a sin. Many fine people have been single. Though, I've always tended to think that um, women who are single are usually pretty normal. Men who are single are usually pretty weird. But that's just my opinion. But at any rate, there's nothing wrong or sinful about being single. That's, uh, I mean, that's not an ungodly uh, path. And it's certainly not wrong to abstain from certain foods. If you want to be vegetarian, you can. There's nothing wrong about that. But the problem is when we develop a legalistic mindset to these things and say this is the only way you can please God. This is the only way you conduct yourselves. <clears throat> I remember hearing a pre preacher who was in uh, Greenville, South Carolina, preaching about, this is many years ago, more than 40, I think. Um, and in his church, the um, anti-sugar people and the sugar people were kind of going to battle at the church dinners. 
and they wanted to set up separate tables uh, that the people could go down this row of tables or that row of tables. And he said, no, 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 we're not going to do that. You just put all of it together and people pick whatever they want to pick. The problem is if you, if you want to avoid certain foods, that's fine. You may need to avoid certain foods. But to develop the idea that it's, that that is the way, the only way to please God is, uh, a deceitful spirit and a deceiving spirit. That's not the path of justification. Um, Philip Ryken was talking about this in his commentary. He says, what lies behind forbidding meat and marriage is the Gnostic idea that there's something sinful about the body. Asceticism has a long history. The Essenes who wrote the Dead Sea Scrolls refused to marry. So did the Manichaeans who lived in the East and from the 3rd to the 10th centuries. Similarly, similarly, Irenaeus reports the Encratites of his day preached against marriage, thus setting aside the original creation of God and, in, and indirectly blaming him who made them male and female for the propagation of the human race. Some of those reckoned among them have also introduced abstinence from food, certain foods, thus proving themselves ungrateful to God who formed all things. So the problem with these false teachers or the content that Paul is directing us to here particularly is this asceticism and it, it comes in the form of legalism. And so the antidote to this particular false doctrine he gives in the last part of verse 3 and on into verse 5. He says, um, they want abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good and nothing to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. And the problem with the self-righteousness and the legalism of these false teachers is uh, it's a way for you to, again, find yourself thinking you're better than other people. Well, I don't do that. Look at how they're eating. Look at how they're living. But it's also the problem that it, it rejects the good gifts of God. God has given us the gift of marriage. God has given us the gift of foods. And you and I, when we reject those, particularly if we're rejecting them because of some false idea of righteousness, then we are rejecting the good gifts of God and actually, in a sense, blaming him for giving us these things. Uh, he shouldn't have given us these things to begin with. Uh, he should have left us without them. And Paul is saying, no, we need to receive the good gifts of God with thanksgiving. And the characteristic that we need to have uh, is thankfulness to God for all that he has given us and the blessings he's given us to in, in, in our life. And uh, the the... The gifts that God has given to us, of course, are come to us because of 
his creation. God created the world good. And all the things in the world are good. Now we know that they've been um, contaminated by sin. And uh, the things that we could have eaten earlier might create certain health problems for us. And we need to be careful about that. But nevertheless, it's a good gift of God. And we, uh, when we're able to, we receive it with thanksgiving because God created it good. He created it for our enjoyment and our blessing in this life. And um, receiving these good gifts with thankfulness is living a godly life. Uh, we cannot achieve redemption through denial. Uh, we can discipline ourselves if we need to, but God has given us these good things and we need to receive them with gratitude and thankfulness. And that's the attitude that's to be cultivated among God's people is thankfulness. Uh, thankfulness for his redemption, thankfulness for his creation, and all the abundant blessings that he pours out into our lives. <clears throat> and then Paul ends this little section kind of introducing the following verses as well. But he says in verse 6, If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that you have followed. And the, the phrase good servant, some of your translation will say good minister. It's the word that we, uh, diaconus, that we can um, um, use in reference to deacons. But here in this context, it's speaking really of service or ministry. And, and what he's telling Timothy, Timothy, if you are careful to warn the people of God over this and to encourage them to receive God's good gifts with thankfulness, you will be a good minister for the Lord. And notice what he follows up that you're, and you'll be tr being trained in the words of faith and of the good doctrine that you followed. You're, you'll be, tr you'll be following in the path of righteousness, uh, in, the path of the words of the faith and of the good doctrine that has been handed down to you. So you have the distinct and um, contrast between what Timothy should be pursuing and the, the, the deceitful lies of the deceitful spirits and the teaching of demons. Timothy needs to avoid those things and reject those things and follow along in the good doctrine that Paul and the other apostles have laid down. And so you and I, as we think about this, just need to be on the alert for false teachers in our own day who would try to draw us away from the pure faith in Christ, uh, from a good conscience and the um, purity of holding fast to the faith. And so you and I need to be alert and warned for that and to receive the good gifts of God that he's given to us with thankfulness. And may we do that and may God protect us from the false teachers of our own day and hold fast to the scriptures and the truth that it lays out for us. Amen. Let us pray.
Father in heaven, thank you so much for your love and faithfulness to us. Thank you for giving us clear and careful warnings. Uh, Help us not to be taken in by the false teachers of our own day, but we might be alert to that. We thank you for the many wonderful good gifts that you have given to us in our lives. Help us to receive them and enjoy them as, as the gifts that you give us. And so may we continue to walk in the faithful teaching of your word and the good doctrine that you have given to us through the scriptures. May you be glorified as we um, walk in your ways. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.